2: The Joint Chiefs chairman accused of colluding with China. Why would two reporters sit on a story like this for months and months and allow this man, who I believe, if this is true, is utterly unhinged, to serve as the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? California's Newsom will stay.
0: Tonight, I'm humbled, grateful, but resolved in the spirit of my political hero, Robert Kennedy, to make more gentle the life of this world.
3: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Wednesday, September 15th. I'm Rich Thomason. A new book raises serious allegations against the president's senior military advisor. Fox News' Tucker Carlson
1: talks about it. According to reporting this summer, in the days after last November's election, Mark Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, held a meeting with senior military officials at the Pentagon. Milley wanted to inform them of what he described as a serious threat to national security, a threat so grave that it imperiled, quote, the stability of the republic. That threat, Milley said, was the sitting president of the United States. Donald Trump had dared to question the election results. For this, Milley explained, the U.S. military might be required to use physical force against the president. We're the guys with guns, Milley said. Apparently, he'd been preparing for this moment. Milley had similar conversations with the director of the CIA, Gina Haspel, as well as with the head of the NSA, Paul Nakasone. He'd also spoken directly to Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump's chief political rivals. Now, according to a new book by Bob Woodward and Bob Costa, Milley apparently went even further than that. On October 30th of last year, Woodward and Costa report, Milley called his counterpart in China, that's a general called Li Zhou Milley did not tell his boss, the president, about this call, either before he made it or after. Here was Milley's message for the Chinese military. Quote, General Lee, I want to assure you that the American government is stable and everything is going to be okay. We are not going to attack or conduct any kinetic operations against you. And then reportedly Milley said this, quote, General Lee, you and I have known each other for five years. If we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. Let that sink in. Quote, if we're going to attack, I'm going to call you ahead of time. It's not going to be a surprise. So according to this account, our country's top defense official secretly colluded with our chief military rival to undercut the elected president of the United States.
2: Mark Levin on Fox News' Hannity. And what does this book do? It's certainly in the front end. It attempts to trash President Trump. Let's take a look very briefly at this. So people should boycott this book. People should not reward these people at all for their conduct as so-called journalists. Journalism is corrupt, and it's dead in this country. But let's look at the story. First of all, it says in the middle of the story, Peril, the author says, based on interviews with more than 200 people, conducted on the condition they not be named as sources. Who the hell writes a book with 200 anonymous sources? 200? Well, we have the tapes. We have the notes. Yeah, but we don't. The American people, this is our country. Don't we get to make a judgment about these things? It's not about Woodward, Costa, and the Washington Post. What kind of a news organization is this? And if this did happen, it's big news.
3: Levin says the book implies that Millie operating behind the scenes, was actively plotting against President Trump on several fronts.
2: What else does he do? He basically, according to this article... If it's true, he tells his subordinate officers basically to take an oath of loyalty to him. To him, what else does he do? He conspires with the head of the CIA who's worried about a right-wing coup. All this talk about right-wing coups, Russia collusion, criminal investigations of a sitting president, two impeachments, one of a sitting president, one of the ex-president when he's left office, going after tax returns, trying to destroy. We know what a coup looks like. We sacked for it for the last five years. And what else? The head of the Joint Chiefs is collaborating with the head of the opposition party, Pelosi and Schumer. So he's collaborated, according to this story, with the communist Chinese military, with the head of the Democrats in the House, with the head of the Democrats in the Senate. He's got subordinate generals and others who he, according to this story, gets allegiances from them. And the two reporters on the story sit on this for months and months and months. So they can make a buck on a book. Wouldn't it have been good to know about Milley before what happened in Afghanistan?
3: Tucker Carlson says the implications, both criminal
1: and ideological. And in fact, there was a coup in progress, but it did not come from the right. It wasn't brewing in Alabama. Instead, a constellation of unelected government employees loyal above all to the Democratic Party and to the permanent class in Washington ignored the United States Constitution and then they invalidated the votes of tens of millions of American citizens. How'd they do that? Because they invalidated democracy. Senator Rand
3: Paul writes on Twitter, if the chairman of the JCOS worked to subvert the military chain of command and collude with China, he should be court-martialed if true. Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio urging President Biden to fire Milley. The Washington Examiner says just 45 minutes after the polls had closed in California, the major networks declared Democrat Governor Gavin Newsom the winner of the recall election. The Republican frontrunner, Salem Radio's Larry Elder, insisting the quest for better government in California is far from over. We
4: may have lost the battle, but we are going to win the war.
3: Daybreak Insider White House Correspondent Greg Cluxton.
4: The recall effort was fueled largely by anger over Governor Gavin Newsom's actions during the pandemic, which included imposing the nation's first statewide shutdown order. Critics complained about closed businesses and children being kept out of school. And during the campaign to remove Newsom, Republicans also pointed to homelessness, rising crime, and other problems on the governor's watch.
3: Elder tells the Salem Radio Network that while the Democrat machine backed Newsom, it carefully avoided any mention of his record.
5: They never uttered the magic words, Gavin Newsom has done a good job. They can't, because he hasn't. They've got absolutely nothing.
3: California voter Ennis Mayberry says he was surprised when he showed up at his polling place. I was expecting a line being the last day. I thought it would be lined up. Yeah. And there's more staff in there than voters Contra Costa County Registrar Debbie Cooper says she's not surprised by the light in-person turnout
6: Well, we already have nearly half of all the ballots returned by mail
3: Cooper defends mail in voting is more efficient
6: Definitely voting by mail costs less money You know so there's a lot of money to have, you know, 1300 poll workers and and all the sites that we have to identify and make sure the ADA is accessible and things like that
3: Cooper and Mayberry spoke with KGO the New York Times says Elder won the plurality of the votes for the alternative by a landslide. Newsom claimed more than 60% of the recall votes statewide. A victory in the fight against a vaccine requirement in the Empire State.
0: A federal judge has temporarily blocked the state of New York from forcing medical workers to be vaccinated after a group of health care workers sued. 17 health professionals, including doctors and nurses, claim the vaccine mandate violates their rights because it disallows religious exemptions. The court papers said all of the available vaccines employ aborted fetus cell lines in their testing, development, or production. The suit says the plaintiffs are not anti-vaxxers, but they oppose any medical cooperation in abortion as a matter of religious conviction. I'm Walter Ratliff.
3: The New York Post reports New York City's major municipal unions also scored a legal win, when a Manhattan Supreme Court judge temporarily blocked City Hall's vaccine mandate for Department of Education workers. Judge Lawrence Love issued the temporary restraining order in response to a lawsuit brought against the city by a slew of major municipal unions who oppose Mayor Bill de Blasio's directive. A Quinnipiac poll says 49% of Americans disapprove of President Biden's handling of the pandemic, 48% approve. Just a month ago, the president's approval rating was running 13 points higher than his disapproval rating on this issue. Daybreak Insider's Eric Cudd says vaccination for the military is now a non-negotiable.
2: Axios says only 40% of United States Army soldiers are vaccinated against COVID-19. And now the government has issued requirements for service members to be vaccinated or face discipline. An Army statement says that can include relief of duties, or discharge from the service. Lieutenant General Scott Dingell, U.S. Army Surgeon General, said in a statement, the Army introduced the measures as coronavirus case counts and deaths continue to be concerning as the Delta variant spreads. Troops must be vaccinated by December 15th of this year. The National Guard has until June 30th of 2022.
3: COVID cases and deaths in the U.S. have climbed back to where they were over the winter, reversing months of progress.
6: The U.S. is averaging over 1,800 COVID-19 deaths a day, the highest since early March. Along with 170,000 new cases per day, that's the highest since late January. And both figures have been on the rise over the past two weeks. The cases, driven by the Delta variant, combined with resistance among some Americans to get vaccinated, are concentrated mostly in the South. While one-time hotspots like Florida and Louisiana are improving... Infection rates are soaring in Kentucky, Georgia, and Tennessee, fueled by children now back in school, loose mass restrictions, and low vaccination levels. I'm Shelly Adler.
3: Overseas, Russian President Putin is in self-quarantine after at least one COVID case turned up among those in his
7: inner circle. Putin has been fully vaccinated with the Russian coronavirus vaccine Sputnik V. Now spokesman Dmitry Peskov tells reporters Putin is absolutely healthy but will self-isolate after coming in contact with someone who contracted the virus. He didn't clarify for how long Putin would remain in self-isolation but assured that the president will continue working as usual. On Monday, Putin met with Syria's Bashar Assad to discuss the cooperation. Operation between their armies on how to continue operations to gain control of the last rebel-held areas in Syria.
3: Correspondent Charles Deladesma also reports that Britain will offer a third dose of the COVID vaccine to those over 50 and. Other vulnerable people after an expert panel
7: recommended the booster shots. Health Secretary Sajid Javid has told lawmakers the government has accepted the recommendation of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization and would start offering booster shots next week. The WHO, however, has asked wealthy nations to delay booster shots until every country has vaccinated at least 40% of their populations. The JCVI said booster shots were needed to ensure vulnerable people are further Against COVID 19 because studies have shown that the immunity conferred by vaccines weakens over time. The World Health
3: Organization will not embrace boosters until those in developing countries are able to get their
7: initial shots. The agency says COVID 19 will continue to threaten people everywhere until all countries vaccinate enough people to head off potentially dangerous new variants. The WHO Director General Tedros reiterated the call last week after an earlier appeal was widely ignored, saying he will not stay silent when companies and countries that control the global supply of vaccines think the world's poor should be satisfied with leftovers.
3: Democrats are looking to undo President Trump's tax breaks, one of which is the pass-through measure, which allows small business owners to write off 20% of their income. CNBC says Senate Finance Committee Chairman Democrat Ron Wyden put forth legislation that would phase out the 20% deduction for business owners whose taxable income exceeds $400,000, eliminating the tax break entirely once income reaches $500,000. Job Creators Network CEO Alfredo Ortiz telling the Salem Radio Network's Hugh Hewitt the end of such a benefit will have severe consequences for Main Street America.
5: Look, the pass-through is disastrous. Getting rid of that is going to be absolutely disastrous. One of the primary reasons Hugh, that we believe that we had such a successful economy under President Trump is because of that. We, we let small businesses grow. We let them thrive. And remember, two-thirds of new job growth is in the hands of small businesses. So when we kill small businesses, we kill our economy. We kill, we, we basically kill our communities. It, 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 can't, it can't be done. We've got to stop it.
3: Hugh asking if any of the Democrats' proposed changes make any economic sense.
5: No, not at all. I mean, look at what the uh, top rate, for for example, in New York City for earners there. It's going to be over 61 percent is basically what they're going to be given in taxes between federal and state. It's just absolutely ludicrous. None of this makes sense. Um, And again, I think, you know, you look at Representative Clyburn, for example. What did he say? Let's go ahead and spend first and then we'll figure out how to pay for it later, which basically means we'll just keep borrowing. This idea of modern monetary theory has got to go, that basically we can just keep borrowing to spend all these social programs.
3: And a warning that the Democrats' plans will cause the price of goods to rise sharply. Now,
5: they're going to raise the income tax on couples quite significantly across the board. And they are also going to raise money on corporations, I think, to 26.5%. All that just goes right through to the
3: consumer, doesn't it, Alfredo?
5: Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. And remember, those corporate tax rates, we've got about a million small businesses, to that are... That file as, as C corps, so those are all going to get that increase in tax rate as well. In addition to those, all those small businesses that, that will lose that twenty percent tax deduction, which again was so absolutely critical to the success of our economy under Trump.
3: The Democrat playbook strategy is time tested.
5: The Democrats are very clever about how they how they mask things. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, you know, but but they really really are good about that. For example, these mandates on the vaccines. They talk about. These are, uh, you know, for the largest employers of our country. They're talking 100 employees or more. I'm sorry, but the SBA, the Small Business Administration alone, 500 employees or less is a small business. So we're going to be doing this to the majority of our small businesses. And then also, on top of that, saying if you don't do it, we're going to fine you $14,000 per employee. They're dishonest, misleading, and disingenuous. Hugh.
3: Ortiz embarking on a bus tour to spread the word.
5: Well, part of it is the bus tour, right? I mean, we... We started in Bedford, uh, Texas. We went to Jefferson City, Missouri. uh, We went to Rochester, Minnesota. Today we're actually in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. And then we're going to be going to Texas, Georgia, Florida. I mean, this is the way we got to do it, right? And then, of course, spreading the word through, uh, you know, your great show and other shows like yours uh, on the Salem Network, we've got to get this word out.
3: And he says this fight is not about Republicans or Democrats.
5: This, this is truly a war on small business. There hasn't been one single policy here that we've found that is actually, under the Biden administration, that is actually intended to help small businesses. Every single thing that we've seen pretty much will hurt a small business.
3: More information about the bus tour available at jcnbustour.com. Daybreak Insider correspondent Bernie Bennett says Secretary of State Antony Blinken spent a second day testifying on the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan hearing this time before the Senate
5: Foreign Relations Committee. Republican Senator James Risch of Idaho claimed that someone else in the White House other than President Biden is calling the shots.
8: I'd like to know who this person is. This is a, a puppeteer act, if you would, and we need to know who's in charge and who's making these
9: decisions.
5: Blinken explains the administration's point of view.
9: After 20 years, 2,461 American lives lost, 20,000 injuries, $2 trillion spent, It was time to end America's longest war.
5: Blinken added that President Biden speaks very clearly and very deliberately for himself. No one else does.
3: And Senator Risch says the Trump administration cannot be blamed for what happened during the chaotic pullout.
8: I feel this administration is trying to blame the prior administration and uh, contrary to uh, some that have said that uh, Uh, the the prior administration started this as irresponsible. responsible, that's simply not true.
3: Risch defending the Trump team, saying it had a clear plan for the U.S. departure from Afghanistan. In
8: February 2020, agreement was contingent, contingent upon the uh, Taliban reducing violence, meeting counterterrorism commitments, and engaging in substantive talks with the Afghan government.
3: Risch claims that President Biden didn't have a clue as to what He was doing. President
8: Biden chose to withdraw from Afghanistan without conditions and without prudent planning, uh, and obviously without, most important, telegraphing to the Taliban that they would enforce the conditions that the Taliban had agreed to. It didn't happen.
3: While Blinken says the administration gave adequate
9: notice to Americans in Afghanistan to leave the country. In March, we began urging them to leave the country. In total, between March and August, We sent 19 specific messages without warning, as well as offers of help, including financial assistance to pay for plane tickets.
3: Lincoln contends that keeping the U.S. military in Afghanistan longer would have made little difference. It's 20 years,
9: hundreds of billions of dollars in support, equipment, training did not suffice. Why would another year, another five, another ten?
3: Lincoln going as far as to say that the withdrawal has upset America's adversaries.
9: There is nothing. The strategic competitors like China and Russia or adversaries like Iran and North Korea would have liked more than for the United States to re-up a 20-year war and remain bogged down in Afghanistan for another decade.
3: Risch says the U.S. departure from Afghanistan was nothing if not haphazard.
9: Well,
8: I supported a responsible end to the war in Afghanistan. No American thinks we should have left this way. America cannot end war simply by walking away. It is naive to assume our enemies will lay down their arms, leave us alone, and suddenly enshrine human rights if we go home.
3: Daybreak Insider White House correspondent Greg Clugston saying three former U.S. presidents are teaming up to support refugees from Afghanistan.
4: Republican George W. Bush and Democrats Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, along with their wives, will serve in a new group that's helping Afghans settle in the United States. It's called Welcome.us and is a coalition of advocacy groups, U.S. businesses and other leaders. The website will allow Americans to donate, host a refugee family or find other ways to help. In a statement, the Bushes said thousands of Afghans stood with us, and now they need our help.
3: And finally, the case against former police officers charged in the death of George Floyd continues to work its way through the courts.
6: Four former Minneapolis police officers charged with violating George Floyd's civil rights have pleaded not guilty in a federal hearing that included arguments on several pretrial motions. One of those was a request to hold separate trials. Among the four indicted by the federal grand jury, Derek Chauvin, who's serving a 22-and-a-half-year sentence for murder in Floyd's death. All four appeared in court remotely via video conference. The hearing also addressed roughly 40 pretrial motions, though many were similar, most of the motions were routine, such as agreeing when names of witnesses would be disclosed. I'm Shelley Adler.
3: Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. Join us again tomorrow. I'm Rich Thomason.